Welcome to the Prince Daniels Jr. Show. I created this podcast because I understand that we are all spiritual beings having a human experience on a journey to learn more, discover a deeper, more meaningful purpose in our lives, our why. I will be interviewing some of the most accomplished individuals in the world that have achieved a high level of success and have learned how to maintain it. I will also be sharing my stories and insight as part of my more than 10-year relationship with a monastery as a former NFL running back, thought leader, and author. And so now, let's elevate together. What's up, everybody? How you doing? This is Prince Daniels Jr., and welcome to the Prince Daniels Jr. Show. Today, I am here with an incredible individual, somebody that I look up to, I love her energy. It's amazing. And her ability to create miracles and identify them and see them and then share them and point them out to other people. Uh, When I first met this person, she was just like a a ball of light. And we we, we never spoke to each other um, at the initial mastermind where we met. And suddenly uh, we connected when we were having a, a I want to say it was a, a tour of the, the Staples Center. And it was VIP access. It was amazing. We had a chance to meet the, v, the VP of sales. And um, we, we actually had a conversation and it was funny. She said, hey, I know so-and-so uh, that plays basketball in the NBA. I'm just like, oh, okay. Because this is my first time actually going to uh, some type of event like this. And so I wasn't sure who <laughs> who to talk to, who who, who should I um, want uh, want to get to know. And so finally, we had a conversation, and I was just like, "Who are you? You know, your light is shining so bright." So, without further ado, I want to introduce to you guys someone that is incredible. She has written a book. She's a public speaker. Um, she owns multiple businesses, and she's a self-made millionaire. And the name of her book is called From Bounce Checks to Private Jets. Miss Hazel Ortega, how are you doing today? I'm doing just great. Thank you so much, Prince, for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'm happy that you're happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So, Hazel, like... Uh, I just gave the introduction, but it doesn't do it any justice of who you are. So um, if you can, if you can, can you take us back to like where you grew up, where you're from? Um, share with us who you are. Great. I'd love to. Uh, yeah. So my story begins. I'm a first generation Mexican-American. Uh, my, both my parents were born in Mexico and immigrated here. And we ended up uh, living in a very poor neighborhood of Los Angeles. And by the time I was born, my parents were already separated. And my mom went on welfare and um, ended up having to remarry several times. And during this time, we were living in low-income neighborhood that was gang-infested. So. 
a lot of crime, gang violence. I mean, the kind of gang violence that we had made international news. We, I grew up with the Mara Salvatrucha Prince. <laughs> that What's is that? the baddest gang there is in history. <laughs> They're from El Salvador. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, I, so no, even I the know. president. <laughs> <laughs> I know gangs from El Salvador, and they are crucial. So, yes, yeah. wow. It's brutal. They were very, they were brutal. So, um, we, so this, this, you know, growing up in this dangerous neighborhood, yes. it taught me a lot of things like how to be resourceful, how to save my own life <laughs> <laughs> and how to overcome, you know, I did at, at just only 12 years old. My, I experienced my first death where one of my best friends was yeah. killed at the bus stop where we were all waiting for the bus after school and the gangs came and shouted their gang name. And as usual, we all ran away. Mm -hmm. But what made this time different was that the next day we found out that Wabbit had been killed with an ice pick mm. at the bus stop. Yeah. Uh, that's man. That's, that's disheartening. Like I read about that in your book and I remember you saying one of the things is, you're sitting there with someone and then the next day they're gone and they'll never return. How does that make you feel when, um, well, not, not how did it make you feel? How did it make you uh, adapt to life? Did you feel cold afterwards? Did you feel sad? Uh, what emotions did you experience? Uh, well, one of the, the unique things that I, that I experienced that in only in retrospect that I realized it was wrong and how out of touch I was is that it just felt like, okay, um, who's next? You know, like, like there's so many people that had died in my neighborhood due to gang yeah. violence that yeah. it was like, um, like another person just died. But then as an adult, you know, I'm, as I'm processing my own feelings, which I do a lot now, um, I come to that feeling of when he died and I can, I, I literally like in my, like 25 years later experienced the pain and the hurt of him dying. But in that moment, it was like, you know, okay, whatever. Like, you know, nobody talked to us about it. We didn't have any therapy. Nobody like explained anything about where he went after he died. Like it was nothing there, no faith, no God, nothing. Like we just, it was just like our whole neighborhood I mean, people were just dropping like flies. I mean, my neighbor had been also shot and killed at a bar um, during that time. So, but this particular person was my best friend. And mm. um, and that was the first tra traumatic um, experience I had with death. I mean, I had many more, but he was the first one. But still, because I had already experienced a lot of other people dying, it felt like I was probably just desensitized to it. Wow. Oh man! So, wow. How does somebody that um, that is desensitized to death um, and they see it around the corner? How do they actually break out of that fear? Because it sounds like it's a survival mode and uh, fear-induced um, fear to actually to stay alive, uh, you know. But fear that you might die. Um, like, what, how did you break out of that? How did you transform from that yeah. environment that you came from? That's a really good question, Prince, because uh, for a long time, I, you know, every time my, my own kids, like, walked out the front door, I thought they could die. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was unreasonable, right? Because I was not living in that neighborhood anymore. I was living in a very nice neighborhood by this time and I didn't have the same dangers, but it's almost like post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, I became like this really, um, strict mom, although my mom was very strict as well. And now mm-hmm. in retrospect, I know that she was doing it because the neighborhood was so bad. She wouldn't let us go anywhere. Um, so as an adult, how I transform that is just being aware of no. reality and not being in the past. Um, so that took me probably, I, I overcame my neighborhood. I would say I'm still overcoming my neighborhood. I used to not that long ago. Thank God every night that it was that I had a safe place to live because I used to hear gunshots in the middle of the night. And luckily I lived on the second floor, but people on the first floor, their, you know, their houses got shot into their cars got shot into. So I was very present how lucky I am because of where I came from. But just recently I started just feeling lucky for no reason not because of where I came from, but just because of I'm, what a good life I have right now. And so that makes me feel like I've really come a long way from basing my, the past and comparing it to my present. Like I'm really leaving the past in the past. Some of the things that I do, I have a lot of uh, personal development uh, work that I do. Um, I read a lot. I pray a lot. I'm in gratitude. I have um, a vision for my future that keeps me uh, looking forward and not backwards. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that I've done to overcome that. Whew, that was a lot of information. Oh my goodness. My heart is ringing right now. It's buzzing because that was very intimate, what you just shared. And that was also showing a vulnerable side of you. Um, you know, growing up in that environment, I know that you mentioned in your book that uh, you you had this callous type of attitude. You know, when was it that you start processing your feelings? Um, because I know in your book, I read about you and your sisters getting into arguments and getting into actual physical altercations. Um, like, and also with your mother as well, like, when did you start processing your feelings and how was that emotion? How, how was that, that transformation? Were you peeling off layers? Did you feel that you had to peel off enough layers to get to whom you are today? Uh, yeah, most definitely. I was, I was really hardened. Um, number one, my mom, you know, she was raising us to be tough uh, because life is hard and uh, we needed to be tough. And that meant like, not crying. Uh, so if she would see us cry because our chocolate fell on the floor or because my sister took my doll, uh, that would not be a, a good reason for, for us to cry. So she would hit us so that we wouldn't cry for nothing. She said, if you're going to cry for nothing, cry for something and here's something, and, you know, cry because something literally hurts. You're in pain, not because of these feelings that you're having. So she pretty much trained us like soldiers like that, you know, and I, I didn't even know that I was like that until I'm not like that. Um, I just thought this was normal, but I, I do recall as an adult for the, you know, one time becoming aware that it was so beautiful to see people cry and that people can be vulnerable like that. And I knew I couldn't even in my 
divorce or um, heartaches. I would not, no man had ever seen me cry. I was never vulnerable like that. And no, I didn't create any intimacy in that way. And when I really started to deal with it was when I wrote this book. <laughs> oh, it really Therapy. cracked me open. <laughs> Jesus, I gave it to you guys, everything to you. <laughs> oh, I mean, it was so beautiful. From bounce checks to private jets. I mean, it caught my attention. Uh, I'll never forget when you said, you guys get my book. And I remember looking at the title. I was like, from bounce checks to private jets. I was like, who is this? <laughs> you know, to me, you're like the, the uh, fairy godmother. Um, you know, in, in movement, uh, you just make miracles happen. Uh, and for someone that hasn't uh, been to like a monastery or have you been to a monastery and spent time with monks? I have not. OK, well, somebody that has not, um, you 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 see the beauty in life. You know, you can see those miracles and you can identify them. And I think that's amazing uh, because it comes from a, a, a pure place, you know, a spiritual place. Because mm-hmm. when we want for things, we ask through our emotions, through our but through our spirit. Like our emotions come from inside of us and out. So, um, so I want to transition to where you are in your life right now, and how'd you get there? Like, how'd you get to the point of being a counselor? Uh, well, uh, okay. So growing up in this tough neighborhood, education wasn't important. It was surviving the neighborhood. Uh-huh. And so I didn't graduate from high school. I went straight to getting a job. And my first job that I got was working for a workers' compensation judge. And I was her assistant. Um, but it was a, a job where I was placed there because there was a program for the youth to keep the youth off the street, right? And um, so that, you know, to distract me from getting pregnant, from going into gangs, from doing drugs, from going to jail. So they gave us jobs. And so that was a really pivotal point in my life. They gave me this job at this workers' compensation appeals board. Then at 18, I aged out of that. And, but the judge that I worked for recommended me to work at a, at a law firm. And from then on, my whole career has been working in workers' compensation, helping people who are injured on the job that can't do the same job anymore, go back into the job market in a different field so they don't re-injure themselves. Yeah. So I was doing that uh, in the capacity as a secretary at this law firm when I was injured myself. I have carpal tunnel, cubital tunnel, and problems with my neck. And the doctor told me I I couldn't do my job anymore. And Prince, I was making $15 an hour. And I thought that that was the best that I could do. <laughs> yes. Could you imagine that? And if that was the best. I really felt like I made it at $15 an hour. Okay. Wow. And um, that was just, that was double the minimum wage at the time. So the minimum wage was $7. I was making $15. And I thought that I was going to stay at that job for the rest of my life. That was my vision for myself. And and when they told me I couldn't do my job anymore and I was not yeah. going to be able to be there, that really shocked me. And lucky for me, I had an, a, a mentor who was my boss. He's the attorney. And then a doctor that was treating me for my injury. They both told me to go to school and get a higher education. Um, I had just earned my high school diploma. And then so what I did is I kept going to school. 
and I became an educational psychologist. Okay. Okay. I, I don't know if you, I don't know if I forget if I wrote in the book, but that I was working from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday, going to school 7 to 10 p.m. at night, and going to school Saturdays from 10, I'm sorry, from 8 to 2, and on Sundays from 10 to 2. So I was going to school, uh, yeah, I was doing weekend college and then extra classes during the week while on top of that working full time, while on top of that having two, I was married and I had three little kids at home. Wow. So, and anybody has any excuses, it's, there's no excuse. When, <laughs> you can do anything. We're, we can do anything when we are forced to do it, right? Like at first, right. it, sometimes the way people change is because they're forced to change. And other times they're inspired to change. So for me at that time, it was forced to change. And so I did, I, be, I went to school, I kept going and I didn't quit. And so what happens a lot, even with my current career, um, I help people go back to school and get an education, which is interesting because I hated school and I didn't even graduate <laughs> from high school. And then now all I do is talk about education. Like I'm going to learn until the day I die. Um, what happens with my clients and most everybody is that the, you know, the beginning of, of going towards your goals is always hard, but then, yeah. you know, after even like getting in shape, saving money, you know, there's sacrifices and things that we have to do in the beginning that don't feel good. But then after that, once you see you have, wow, I have $5,000 saved in the bank. Wow. I lost five pounds. Now I have 10,000 in the bank and now I lost 20 pounds. After that, it's easy, but people don't give themselves the opportunity to get to the sweet spot. You quit before that happens. And once you hit the sweet spot, wow, not only would you have lost the 20 pounds, now you have muscle, now you have a shape, you know, and now you have money to invest. Like it, it all, it gets easier from there. Money grows exponentially. Like you can't, you can't get rich if you don't have some money in the bank. You have to, you know, add money, add money to it. And then right. money attracts more money. Weight loss is the same and getting in shape muscle. You have some muscle muscle adds easier to muscle. So anyhow, so people just tend to quit easy. And I did quit every single semester. I, I signed up for school and I quit before the end of the semester all the way until uh, until I was like 26 years old. I, that's when I didn't quit anymore. That's when I was injured. And so then by the, you know, I kept going and at 30, I got my high school diploma. And then I kept going and then I loved school. I mean, I was in school to get my PhD. It was yeah. a five-year program, but because I was studying child development and I was in school and going and working full-time, what I what yeah. I was learning is that when there's absent parents, you tend to have kids with a lot of problems. So mm. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I'm gonna Man. stop right here. So uh, what was it like um earning earning your high school uh, degree? Oh. oh my gosh you know i it was like the first like moment that i was proud of myself wow and that is so important for us to do we we you know we make other people proud but when you make your own self proud like that's mm -hmm. a feeling that's like un, unlike any other wow. and um i do remember that clearly that's so beautiful like you know sometimes people um get in their own way by saying, you know, trying to make themselves proud. They're looking to make someone else proud outside of them. And um, they feel that that weighs more 
and holds more value than actually making themselves proud. Like, how do you make yourself proud without without having a sense of like um, I'm cocky or or you know like egotistical? Well, I mean, it, it, you could. You, I mean, you is being authentic, right? Like, um, I could be uh, boasting about. I can be sharing with you about like, wow, my, you know, whatever I have going on, and it's coming right. from an authentic place. And then I could right. be saying the same exact thing coming from an insecure place, and I'm trying to make you look at me in a certain way that's better. You know, so you think I'm better than I feel about myself. So mm. I think people can feel that energy. Of, yeah. um, why, of where people are coming from. And I certainly have had those two situations. But what I'm, I came, I'm really, really proud of myself. Um, and I keep doing things that keep blowing my own mind. And I'm like, I want to celebrate with somebody. But, and I look around and I'm like, okay, I have like, you know, these handful of people that I could celebrate with. Um, and, but really, it's for me, it's really amazing to make your own self proud. That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. We are speaking with Hazel Ortega. She is an amazing individual. Um, Hazel, I want to go back to something that you said, you mentioned earlier. You mentioned vision. Um, and you were talking about um, the vision that you did not have for yourself. And then you created a vision for yourself. Uh, one of the questions I want to know is, how do you follow your vision? You know, it's... It, it it can seem whimsical just putting something on on um, paper, creating a vision board, um, like you know, like you create it, but then like, what's the next step? Like, how do you make that become a reality? Because it just seems like um, so you went to school and you 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 paved the way for yourself, and then you um, uh, got a job as an educational psychologist, or did you get a degree? I got a degree. Uh, I'm a psychologist. As an education psychologist. But like, how do you go from working at a place to owning a place to actually <laughs> making things happen and becoming a multimillionaire and just just being the incredible individual that you are living your dreams? Like, how do you follow your vision? Oh, man, you're you're you have great questions, uh, Prince. I love this one because my whole platform is about vision. Like for mm-hmm. me, that's what changed my life. Um you know, I was already a psychologist earning $70,000 a year. You could think that that, that was like, wow, um, that's great, right? That's a successful person has, has a degree. But at the same time, I was still broke. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? No matter, you could be a millionaire and be broke because you have bad habits. And um, I was fist fighting with my sisters, not getting along. Same thing. You could be a millionaire, not getting along with your family. You could have a life that doesn't work. It doesn't matter how many zeros you have in the bank. So here I was a psychologist and I thought that that's as good as it gets for me. When I became a psychologist, I blew my mind like, wow, I'm an educated person and I have this uh, status and I get to help people. But then, um, I, I settled for that life. Right. But there's a, there was like this other whole other wonderful life that I didn't even know that was available to me. It was like something that I could see was available for other people, but not for me. And um, I was prompted to create a vision for my future, right? So at the time, I was always looking back 
to my past. So how I couldn't create a, an amazing future because I didn't see myself that way. Um, I saw myself as the experience that I've been having to that point of myself, right? Somebody that worked really hard to get everything that she has. Um, and if I was going to do anything, it was going to be really hard to get it. It's kind of like we were taught linear thinking, like two plus two is four and four plus four is eight. Like it has to make sense. It do, how could you um, imagine that you can have a million dollars in the bank when you only have a hundred dollars in the bank? It doesn't make any sense. So it do, my right. brain wouldn't allow me to dream big until I was prompted to create my future. And somebody said, where are you going to be in five years? And I couldn't think of anything. And they actually gave me like 10 minutes to think of it. And I'm like, I cannot think of anything, but you know, and I, and, but I do know that I, I didn't want to just sit there for 10 minutes and <laughs> not come up with anything. So I had to trick myself. And I said, well, if I believe in God and I believe in miracles, what is possible in five years? And that's how I was able to create this incredible vision for the future of having millions of dollars, of having the love of my life, of living in a pimp daddy mansion. <laughs> <laughs> and that it is. <laughs> <laughs> and um, having a life that looks like I'm always on vacation and um, having heavenly relationships with my, with my sisters and an extraordinary living and flying in private jets. That's what I said I wanted my life to look like in five years. And I created that vision. Okay. And um, I created it in my mind. So I took, I tricked my brain to believing like it already happened. Right. And so when that happens, then you start to change your neural pathways. You, you now I'm future focused instead of past focused. And now I feel like anything is possible. And what happened was I, I started generating this what I believe is this energy and I attracted these things towards me because now I could see it. I've already had it. So I have the energy of the luxury cars. I have the energy of a lot of money. I have the energy of love. I have the energy of being love. And all of this was attracted to me and I didn't have to invest $1. I didn't have to learn one more thing. <laughs> I just had to create the future. And so Wow. Right now, what I'm doing, Prince, is I'm I'm creating my future in five-year increments and then creating my 10-year goals that align to that five-year or 10-year goal. And that's what I recommend for everybody to do. Create your 10-year vision, your five-year vision, but then your one-year goals have to align with that big vision that you have. So, you know, yeah. like if you say, I want to um, move my kids into private school, you know, and you can't afford it now, but that's your goal for five years is that when they start going to school, you want them to go to this elite school. So one of the goals that you could have is that by the end of the year, you already have picked what school they're going to go to. And then one little thing that you could do is go see which schools are around the neighborhood. So you already start to make a plan for even though it's going to happen in five years today, you're already planning for that. And the money will come and everything will be perfect. You know, either the money comes, you get a grant, Something in incredible will happen, but it you're surely going to live into that future. How do you know that the money will come? You know, most people say, I just can't, can't dream about money. And uh, it, it just magically shows up. How do you know that the money will come? Is it something that you're supposed to do, like a chant? Or 
you know, what is it that you're supposed to believe in it, that it'll come, um, have hope? Uh, I You need to create it like it already happened. First, fake it if you have to. <laughs> <laughs> Act as if, you know. You know. Anyway, yeah. money, money is... Um, um, you know, you don't have it right in front of you. Uh, you know, we don't lay on our beds on top of stacks of money. You know, it's it's just, you know, it's like a feeling, right? You know where it's at. It's in the bank and it's somewhere else, but it's not where you are, but it, but it messes with your psyche, right? So mm-hmm. you psych yourself out like it is going to happen. And the most miraculous thing of all of this, uh, Prince, is that all of these things that we think we need a lot of money for, it actually doesn't take money. It it doesn't always have to take money. Um, I recently manifested, you know, I've been traveling on private jets, right, with my boyfriend and my pets and my kids. Uh But I said in January that I want, you know, it would be really nice if I travel on private jets with my friends and my closer family, like my sisters, you know, extended. And I said that not knowing like where it's going to happen, right? And all of a sudden, Recently, they called us from our our, our uh, private plane membership, and yes. they gave us fifteen seats. Okay, fifteen okay. seats. Now I'm traveling with my friends, my family, extended people <laughs> on the private jet, and it didn't even cost us one dollar more. So, wow. you know, you just have to know what you want. You have to have it out there, um, but and. The most important things that you want, you know, first, you know, focus on like the immediate things that you need and want. It could be, you know, like your lifestyle, your career, your health, your family, you know, um, your finances. Then when you're in a really good spot, then you start like adding to it. Like right now, my vision is like so outrageous. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but I know I'm going to, it's going to happen. And I'm not worried about the money situation because I think that. I'm still going to have everything that I that I wish for, whether that number is there or not. So mm. really, honestly, I'll tell you that wow. I want everybody to you know think of their number and then add a zero to that number and then forget all about that number. But what's important is what is that number going to going to bring to you? That's what keeps you like, you know, really grounded and focused on what's important. Like, why do you want to have a million dollars? You know, do because you're going to help, um, you know, your your family because you're going to pay for your kids education. uh, You know, you're going to start a business. Like, what is it that you want the money for? And then once you have it, what is your life going to look like once you have that money? So once I had the in my mind, it was like once I have three million dollars, my life is going to look like I'm always on vacation. I'm going to have a pimp daddy mansion. I'm going to have the love of my life. I'm going to have extraordinary living. Like, I mean, I went to Mount Everest, you know, like that's the kind of stuff that I thought three million dollars would bring to me, like those opportunities. Right. Mm-hmm. So I figured out like what I was going to do, what my life was going to look like once I had that amount of money. And then I was doing all of those things. So that's really important and key. What do you want all that money for? What is your, how is your life going to look like once you have it? And you're going to see that your life is going to look like that, whether you have the money or you don't have that money. It's really remarkable. Those are the miracles that I, that I talk about. Oh my goodness, you just (laughs) I (laughs) that is amazing. I felt it. Um, I can feel the energy. Like this is amazing. Uh I see you as somebody that's very successful. And 
I want our audience and listeners um, to know how successful I, I, I see you. Can you tell me what's your definition of success for your life? Um, and and one last question. How have you been able to maintain that success in your life? So the first one is, what's the definition of success and how have you maintained it? Okay, so my definition of success is like having freedom, freedom with my time um, on my calendar. I don't put anything there unless I want to. So there's no have to there. I don't have to have a meeting with a certain person. I don't have to do anything only things that I want to do. So like even this meeting with you today is something that I want to do and I'm doing it. So if you look at my life and you see what I'm doing, just know that everything is what I love to do. So I don't have to do anything. And, and then freedom in, um, in my finances. So I can do everything that I want to do. Right. Another success I feel is that shows up and makes me feel proud is my relationships that I have. So my relationship with my partner, Albert, I'm, I see that as a success and the relationship with my family, like how far I've come from fist fighting and uh, not knowing how to solve my problems to being the peacemaker and having loving relationships with my family. Like for me, that's success. Uh, it doesn't matter how many zeros you have in the bank. If you're not getting along with your brothers and sisters, you will feel like a failure. So um, I, can you say that one more time? It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. What? If you're not right with your brothers and sisters and your mother and father, you will not feel successful. You, you will know that you're, you, you, you will feel like a failure if you're not right with your brothers and sisters, mother and father. Wow. And you know, it, I know some people out there have really um, hard situations with their family members, but mm-hmm. I encourage everyone to figure out what, the, what does it take for you to change that? Not wait for that person to change because that's not going to happen. The magic is in the transformation of us, of what we need to be or who we need to become to be able to be with those people that are the most difficult in our families and transform yeah. that. Because honestly, once I, be, once I started working on my relationships with my family, one mm-hmm. by one, was when I started to see exponential growth in my business, in my money, in my bank account. So you know, I attracted more and better once I was being more and better and more loving and bigger in that capacity, like unconditional love. Like what does it take to be with a difficult parent? Uh, you know, like I, my mom was very difficult. Um, she's already passed on, but in, you know, she was a very difficult person and I used to fight with her a lot. And in the end, um, what it took for me to be with her was to have unconditional love, which means love her for who she is and for who she's not. And that really transformed everything for me. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. <laughs> Woo, Hazel, you are amazing. I tell you that. I have to repeat myself because um, you hear it in your voice. You hear it from your your story. It's, it's such an amazing uh, uh, walk of life. And doing these small things actually make the difference. It's not about the fiat currency 
It's not about you know how many zeros that you have in your bank account. It's about getting your life together from the center and then making sure that everything outside that uh, allows for you to live into your vision and yep. and identify with those miracles that you ask for and you get a chance to see. So that's super awesome. So, yeah. um, Oh, you did ask me, how do I maintain? Yes. Well, well I, you, you answered it. You answered it. Well, 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 how did you maintain it? Well, okay. So another thing that I did want to share with, that came up for me when you asked that was yes. I measure everything. Okay? Yes. okay. So so how do you measure the intangible? Okay. So I, I, I'll, so I have like eight, eight, areas of my life that um, build my, that are consist of my life. Anything outside of that, I'm not doing it, which is um, w- wisdom, like adding knowledge to myself. Yeah. I have um, another building block is like my relationship, my love relationship. Another one is my family relationship. Um, another one would be my finances, my content for my business. Uh, so what I do is, at the end of the month, I write down in, in the little squares everything that has to do with that topic. So where it says love and relationship, I'll write there, you know, that um, Albert and I uh, went to Vegas for the weekend. You know, those are like dates, right? So like special things there. And then I'll write every time I saw, I spent time with my daughter. And then I'll have another one for when I talk to my sisters and my brothers. And so when I, at the end of the, and then how much money I made, how much money you know, and was invested or whatever. And then I look at everything and I look at where, where am I spending most of my time? And that's great. And then where, where don't I spend time? And then I'll see like, Oh, my health and fitness, you know, the little box is empty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> So um, I do that monthly. I take inventory. Okay. And so what happens, you know, a lot of times when we're successful, we could lose our success if, we stopped doing the things that made us successful to begin with, right. right? So, hey, maybe I lost all the weight and I look fantastic. But then if I stop watching what I eat, I am going to go back to have that same body again. So I weigh myself daily to make sure that that doesn't happen. And so like even in my own business, if I, if I start to see that my referrals are lower this month than they were last month. I don't wait until the third month to do something about it. I jump right back in there and I start to do whatever made me successful to begin with. Uh, for example, I'll reach out to a client where before I have, you know, I, I used to reach out to the client. I used to be the only person in my company. So I right. used to be the one asking for the business. And now I have, you know, marketers and I have salespeople. So I don't have to do that anymore. But if I was to see that my company is uh, slowing down on referrals, I don't wait until I'm like, oh shit, you know what I mean? I was like, no, right? Like I look at the numbers all the time. <laughs> Everything yeah. is in the numbers. And so if we drop one month, I'm doing, I'm showing up and doing something because that's how you could lose your success. And then in relationships as well, you know, you have to keep watering relationships. My sisters, my brothers, my daughter. I mean, it's not a one shot. I did great. Hey, I paid for your college and now I'm done and you owe me now. You know, right. it's not like that. You always have to keep on working on it. So I, I evaluate everything. That's my own quirk about it is that I measure everything. Wow. So, all right, Hazel, I want to ask you quickly, do you think that we are, um, you think that we are spiritual beings having a human experience or do you think we're human beings having a spiritual experience? 
Oh, I absolutely know that we are spiritual beings having a human experience, having a, this, this bag of skin and bones. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And not only that, but we're a network. We're a spiritual network. Like mm-hmm. we're not, you know, individual. We're connected to everything. Um, I think you and me are from the same source. Yes. Uh, and so um, I love I love everything and everybody because of that experience that I'm having. Wow. So what does spirituality mean to you? Um, well, yeah, spirituality means like being connected to something bigger than me, mm. uh, like a source bigger than me. And then, you know, and I, I feel like my spirituality is like growing and growing every single day to where I'm seeing things that, that maybe other people don't see yet because of the level of spirituality. And it's pretty remarkable. Like I feel like the trees and the, the leaves in the trees are like leaning towards me. Like they're for me. Mm. Like the oxygen is for me. Like the sun is beaming for me. Like if I step on grass, like the blades of grass are hugging my foot. Like it's for me. Like that's how I feel so connected to everything. Wow. That is so amazing. So can you describe a moment in your life when you knew that there was something bigger than you? I don't know if you, if I shared with you that I, I did a, a, a pilgrimage, a walk in Spain called the, the Camino de Santiago. Oh, no, you didn't. Please do share with me and the audience. Okay, so it's this um, um, special place in Spain where an apostle uh, walked with his followers. And the story goes that he was killed at the end of the walk and thrown into the water. So every, every year after that, people do a pilgrimage in honor of him. And you end, it's a 500-mile walk. I only did one leg of it. I did 130 miles in eight days. And uh, it's an 18-hour, I'm sorry, 18-mile hike, walk, hike kind of thing. And you're in nature. And very there's people around you, but very sparse. Like there were long periods of time where there was no one around me. Well, during that walk is where I came up to this point. Uh, it was the ocean and I was standing there and I could see the, it's actually called Finestera, the area, because mm-hmm. it's, in English it means end of the world. So back in the day when people thought the world was flat, they thought that was the end of the world. They couldn't see anything past that point. So they called that the end of the world. And so when I was standing there, I saw the sunset. And when I saw the sunset, it looked like the second coming of Jesus. Okay. (laughs) Yes. I was standing there and I'm like, wow, what am I? I'm not worthy to see this. Like I really felt not worthy. And it was just so majestic. Okay. It was just like really like a moment. And I looked around and I first I thought I'm not worthy and, but I am looking at it. So, you know, um, possibly I am. And then I looked around. And so not only did I realize that I am worthy, which I realized that I didn't feel worthy in that moment, because, you know, once, once you have an aha moment, you'll never go back to seeing things the way they were before. It'll be like a past life, right? So I realized, oh my goodness, how do I, I always have felt like I'm not worthy. 
And here I am. Okay, so here I am in that moment feeling. I even wrote a poem about this moment. That's so interesting you asked that question. I'll share the poem with you another time. But in that moment, I remember feeling that I wasn't worthy. And then all of a sudden feeling that I deserved it. And not only did I deserve it, but everybody does. And, you know, I wasn't the only one looking at this. I looked around and there was a lot of people there. And I just all of a sudden felt like the connection to every single person that was there. Like, we're no different. I'm no better. You're no better. Nobody's less than. Nobody's more than. Like, it was an incredible awakening to a whole different life that I feel like from that moment forward, I've been on this spiritual uh you know, just trajectory. Like I'm so connected and grounded ever since that experience there. Wow. And that's my second book I'm writing. Wow. (laughs) It's coming out in 2021. I cannot wait to read it. I love it. Hey, make sure that you get her a book. We don't know the the title of it, but uh, maybe it should have something to do with like um, changing the flat earth into the infinite earth or something. (laughs) (laughs) Being able to see beyond the horizon. Um, if you uh, could give yourself one gift, what would you give yourself? It can be time, lunch with a loved one, um, or do you already have everything that you need? I, I'm still working on self-love. So everything that comes with self-love, I want more of for myself, compassion for myself. Um, you know, me, I do a lot for others and I manifest for others and I think about, you know, becoming great for the sole purpose of what it's going to do for other people. And, and I forget about myself. So what, if, if I was to be asking for anything for myself, it would be that gift of self-love and compassion and, and patience for myself. Wow. Oh, yeah. If there was one person that I could introduce you to, it would be the Dalai Lama, because I would want him to be able to identify and see what I see, um, the miracle seeker, uh, but the miracle ident- identifier, uh, the the fact that you're able to identify it and see it is, is, a, is a miracle in itself, and that's beautiful, um, and that was beautiful to just share with us. Wow. Um, so we have to have you on another episode because this uh, this is amazing <laughs> and people don't even know you know how how in depth you know we go we cannot speak to each other uh, verbally but always be connected spiritually uh, and that's what I really really love about you and I, I um, love your spirit and your energy and it's always, you know, you share with me some um, a lot of your successes, and that inspires me. And I do the exact same thing. And it just it, it's a it's a relationship of inspiration, and I really do appreciate you for that. And I want to say that you have inspired so many people with your story today. Um, is there anything that you can share with our subscribers on how they can stay connected with you? Sure, uh, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, Hazel Ortega official. <laughs> and um, I do have a website. It's the mastery of miracles.com. And in the website, I do offer a free visioning quest exercise, which is the exact 
same questions that were that prompted me to create my five-year vision so i'm i give that away for free and uh, it'll help you to also create your vision which is where i got started so everything is available to you just the way it is for me please go there to my website wow all right so what is some parting advice that you would give a person out there who desires to become a master of their miracles start being grateful uh, even though everything around you might seem uh, bleak, uh, there's always something to be grateful for. And you can start a daily gratitude. So that's how, that's something really big. That's one of my success tools is I'm, I'm grateful at every moment. Um, in the morning, wake up, write 10 things. At night, remember those 10 things. Do it again, do it again until it's second nature and you don't have to write them down. Um, I also would say watch out your, your circle. Have a winning environment. So if you want to lose weight, um, be around people that are up to that. Whatever your goal is, bring those people into your life and then celebrate your small wins. I know sometimes we, we get big goals and when we're at, we haven't achieved them yet, we forget that we are achieving things daily and we have small wins and we have to celebrate those small wins. And celebrating the small wins will make the big goal attract to you much faster. So those are my three tips, gratitude, exercise, daily routine, and your winning environment and celebrate your small wins. Those are three things you can start with. Wow. Hazel, Hazel, Hazel. Gratitude, exercise, and something that you can do every day, whether that's strengthening your body, your mind, your spirit, and celebrate your winnings. Also having a a community around you that's going to foster that. Yes. Wow, Hazel. Hazel, Hazel, Hazel. <laughs> you are incredible. You do have a pimped out daddy mansion. <laughs> you have found Mount Everest. You have made millions of dollars. You have done the things that people dream about. And you have this exuberant and loving and spiritual energy, and you are helping people master their miracles. Today, I want to say that I'm so happy that we connected. I'm so happy that you're my sister. I love you and Elbert. I love what you do, what you stand for, how you turn a situation into a life of showing people how to love themselves, how to be loving and how to blossom like a flower. Because, because even though the environment may be harsh, you don't have to flourish in that environment. You can flourish beyond that environment and still be able to be the best version of yourself. So thank you so much. Um, I wanna say to our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure that you subscribe, you share, and you review it. And share it with someone that you think will benefit from this as well. Hazel is incredible. She's amazing. Go and master some miracles with her. <laughs> Thank you, Prince. <laughs> Thank you, Hazel. For all of my listeners, make sure that you enjoy yourself. 
Have an incredible, incredible new year. Peace.